Now please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We are reading, again from Hebrews, we will read verses 3 through 17. So follow along. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chases every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our own good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Oh, what a privilege we have to be able to be in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Let's bow our heads as we come before the text today. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to join here in a free nation, in a free country where we can praise your name, where we can worship you. And now, Father, as we have sung our praises to you, we have confessed our sins, we have reminded ourselves of the great salvation that you have given to us. We ask now that you will speak to us through the power of your Spirit, through the power of your Holy Word, that you might edify us, you might exhort us, and encourage us. We pray all these things in your Son's glorious and precious name. Amen. Did you know that every single one of you in this room, and in the hearing of my voice as a theologian, 
Do you think of yourself as a theologian? Most of us don't. But uh, if you think about it, just as everyone who cooks is a chemist, everyone who balances their checkbook, you're an economist. The reality is, is if we think about God's word and God, we are theologians. Now, I'm a kind of a wannabe cook. I enjoy, maybe I like the fruits of cooking better than anything. Uh, but through uh, Good Eats, uh, Alton Brown, I learned about the uh, Maillard reaction. And it really under, helped me understand how to gain flavor in food. Now, some of you may go, the Maillard reaction? Well, that's basically a chemical reaction that occurs between amino acids and sugars, which creates melanoids, the compounds which give browned foods, you know, foods that are browned, their wonderful flavor. That great, great flavor. In fact, if you don't understand the Maillard reaction, you're not going to have a good steak. It's critical to getting a good steak, and I love good steaks. One day you can come over and uh, we will smoke some ribeyes and then throw them on the grill for you, and you will understand what good steaks are about. But as I benefited from learning from chemistry to make my cooking better, to make my steaks so much better that I'm at the point where I go to a steak restaurant and I'm like, that's disappointing. They didn't get it right. What you find as you look at theology, as you think about theology in your life, it affects your life on a regular basis. And, and the more you understand about the subject that affects you and you deal with every day, the better you can function. And theology is one of those areas. That too often we go through and go, oh, theology, that's for somebody else. Now, theology is your relationship with the God and the creator of the universe. And so what we've seen so far in the book of Hebrews is our pastor has been writing to his hearers. And think about some of the terms that he's used. Remember back in 3.11, he said, you're dull of hearing. And in 3.12, he says, you ought to be a teacher. And he even implied that their knowledge of scriptures was so deficient or insufficient that he compared them to, you remember what he called them? Babies. You can only drink milk. You're not ready to handle solid food. Uh, 5.13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's but a child. And then in 5.14, he says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's the reality. What's our pastor saying? He says, if you are skilled in the word of righteousness, in other words, God's holy word, you are going to be able to function much more successfully in your life. And I have found that as a direct correlation. Those who understand and are willing to apply the truths of God's word in their day-to-day -day lives, they don't deal with depression as much. They don't deal with fears and anxieties and other besetting sins. Now, does that mean we're immune from it? No. But usually it's an issue of, am I remembering what my God has taught me and am I applying it right now? 
And so what our pastor is saying is those who are skilled in the word of righteousness are able to live life far more successfully because they are able to, and I quote from him, he says, they are able to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews 5.14. So when we emphasize the importance of God's word to believers, we aren't trying to create some academic, theological high spot. Now, what we are trying to do is give people the answers to life. In fact, uh, years ago, I think that was one of our bylines as a church body, teaching God's answers to life. It's a good way to look at it because we believe the word of God is sufficient and we can have that. And so what we are trying to do is create lay theologians who apply God's word to the difficult things. Any of y'all ever have a spouse who is less than easy to live with? Did you know God's word addresses that? Did you have a co-worker who continually sins against you? God's word addresses it. We have the answers that we need. We just are too stubborn to apply them. We think we can handle it on our own. Remember Paul? He wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3:16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And remember the end result, so that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so here's the reality, basic theology for every believer is critical. Think for a moment what we've covered so far in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better to the prophets and the angels. So therefore, as believers, we must pay closer attention to what they have heard. Hebrews 2.1 Jesus became a man to become our high priest and make propitiation for sins. Therefore, as believers, we must consider Jesus and not harden our hearts. Hebrews 3.1 and eight. The pastor referred to the Exodus generation of believers. They were unable to enter God's rest. Why? Due to their unbelief. And so therefore, we need to be careful. We need to fear lest we also fail to enter. Hebrews 4.1 There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, believers must strive to enter that rest, Hebrews 4.11. And solid food is for the mature believer. Therefore, believers must leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. We need to grow in the word, Hebrews 6.1. Believers have confidence to enter the high places by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, they are now to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Hebrews 10, 19 and following. We were reminded that believers are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, they are to throw off every weight and sin and run their race with endurance. Hebrews 12, 1. And where we've come to today. All discipline is painful rather than pleasant. Duh. However, that same discipline brings righteousness to those who are trained by it. And so, what's the application? Therefore, as believers, we are to lift up our drooping hands, we are to strengthen our weak knees, and we are to make straight paths for our feet. Hebrews 12.12. And so, all of these things are 
snippets of theology that help us understand this is why God's Word is important in our lives. And as our pastor is going through chapter 12 and dealing a lot with discipline, he's helping us go, the Word of God has the answers that you need in the midst of trial and difficulty. And so what we find here is the pastor is giving us in verse 12, or today's passage, that your afflictions didn't just come into your life due to the hands of fate and destiny. It wasn't that your neighbor is a jerk that these things happened. It wasn't that your boss was particularly evil. No. The pastor is wanting believers, those who are hearing his word, that your heavenly Father is behind each and every difficulty and challenge you're facing. Yes, every single one. And including the recent afflictions that you've experienced. And your heavenly Father is doing this for a divine purpose. He wants us to be like Jesus, to be pure and to be holy, and he will use whatever means it takes. If you remember back at the beginning of chapter 12, the pastor exhorted us to run the race that God has set before us. Now, he says, verse 12, Therefore lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. You ever watched a marathon? What happens when the guys get near the end, or the gals? Drooping hands, weak knees. You've seen the guys that are just barely making it, right? Do you see the reference? He says, run the race. But, but what happens? When we get tired, we have drooping hands. We have weak knees. We're stumbling along and barely making it. We've seen marathoners who crawl over the finish line, literally. And that's what he's referring to. And this is where theology comes into play. With this knowledge, the pastor is reminding us that we are to live our, our lives differently as we encounter trials. And so here's a truth that we can take to the bank. Good theology, knowing that God is sovereign over the very suffering that I'm experiencing, is the key to pressing on in the race of holy Christian living. Otherwise, I'll give up. I remember reading about a... Uh, a, a, a swimmer who was swimming, I think it was, out to Catalina Island on one of these challenges. And the swimmer gave up like a quarter mile from the goal because there was a lot of fog and she couldn't see the finish line. And if she had known, she would have kept going, but she thought, there's no way I can continue to go. And she thought she had miles to go and she was almost there. That's what theology does for us. When we get tired in trials and difficulties, we look up and we go, okay, God's got this. He's got me. And we will keep moving. Because if we don't grasp good biblical theology, believers, Satan is happy to tempt us with the reality, your God doesn't care about you. He, he doesn't worry about what you're going through. If he loved you, you wouldn't. <laughs> Those statements all smell like smoke, don't they? They're straight out of the pit of hell. And that's the issue. And if, and what our pastor wants us to understand, if we have a proper theology that all adversity we endure as believers is part of God's sovereign design for our good 
and for our holiness. And my God is using even the current garbage in my life to accomplish a good thing. My growth, my holiness. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what good theology does. And that's what our pastor is showing us in this passage. Now, a truth. God designs your pain for your good and for your holiness. And so you need to endure, and more importantly, you need to help others around you endure when they go through difficulty and suffering. Now the first thing we see that our pastor is showing in in this text is we're not running alone. If you look at the text there, you see um, several things that he is pushing forward. And we realize these instructions are given to the church as a whole. They are y'all. In fact, we might even paraphrase in a southern vernacular, y'all get busy and you lift up all the hands which are hanging down. Lift up those feeble knees and make all the straight paths for everybody's feet. Those are the form that it's written in that's speaking to a collective plural there. And this is an exhortation not to individuals, while it is to individuals, but it is to the body of Christ. And basically the gist that I think our pastor is trying to put across when we look at these is that we are to recognize our own struggles. Yeah, they're real easy to find and feel, aren't they? Because they're happening in our life. But at the same time, look around you at the community of faith. Recognize their struggles also. You're not running a solitary race. You may be doing okay right now. You've got your hands up at your side and you're cranking along, but then you look at your neighbor and they've got drooping hands. You are called to serve. You are called to help their drooping hands also. And so as the pastor tells us, he says, you must endure. The picture is drawn from those marathon runners as they just have drooping hands and weak knees. And this is not the first time in God's Word that we have found this kind of picture. Remember the prophet Isaiah. If you go all the way back to Isaiah 35, we find God's people, the nation of Israel, were being placed under discipline. And God gave them hope through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 8. Hear these words. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Verse 8, And a highway will be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. See, there's hope for us. We're fools. God is going to do this. He's going to make this come about. Even when He disciplines, and look at the nation of Israel, He disciplined His people severely. But He kept that remnant. And so Isaiah was giving an oracle that announced that God was going to intervene in the lives of his children. 
guess what you can figure out? God is going to intervene in your life when you are weary, when you are feeble, when you feel like you're even lame and stumbling because of God's discipline or difficulty in your life. But remember, how does the prophet Isaiah say it? There in verse 4, He, God, will come and save you. Our pastor has already told his hearers in Hebrews. If you back up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, you remember what he said? He said, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you might receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, looking forward to the Savior, but my righteous shall live by faith. That's the key. As we look to the provision that God has given us. And so the reality for us is we need to realize whether we lived in the day of Isaiah or whether we lived in the time of Hebrews or whether we're a believer here today in 2023, where does our hope come from? It comes from the Lord and that it's the salvation that God himself will provide. It was sufficient for the Jews of Isaiah's day. It was sufficient for the Jews the pastor was addressing. And guess what? It is more than sufficient to walk through our lives day by day. God has provided Jesus Christ. He has provided for our salvation. And we can rest in that. That's the gospel, isn't it? Everything in the letter of the Hebrews and the prophecy of Isaiah, you'll find it doesn't point to what we must do. Sometimes it does sound like that. Do this and... No. What it points to is what God has done. What God has done through Jesus Christ. Isaiah looks forward to his coming provision of a Savior. The author of Hebrews says... Jesus is way better. He is the Savior. And so that's the message of the Gospel. And so we are to be strengthened. We are to persevere. Why? Because we have Jesus Christ. He is indeed better. He, God has claimed us as His children. We don't strive for holiness in order that God might find us acceptable and then eventually, if we meet the mark, He'll adopt us. That's not the way salvation works, praise God. Instead, what is being driven home again and again in this letter to the Hebrews, God has already adopted you into his holy family by his grace. And so therefore, since you're a part of his family, act like it. That's why you're being called to holiness. That's why you're... And, and live like you actually are persuaded that you are a child of the king. And that's the point that he has here. You're going to go through times of discipline. When you do, look to Jesus. And so, be thankful. Be thankful and eagerly repentant when the discipline comes within your life. Remember James, Jesus' brother. He writes, James 1-2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so that's how we go through difficult times and discipline. 
The second thing that I want to really bring out for you this morning in this text is we are called to help others around us in the body of Christ endure. This is not a solo deal. You are not the lone ranger out there. You know, it's me and Jesus. We got it all. No, it's me and Jesus and I'm placed into his family. And I have a job to help others. It's interesting if you have a New American Standard, you know, the most literal English translation that we have, here's how it translates verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. It's not your hands, it's the hands. Implication being, I look around and I go, ooh, Gary's are dropping. Oh, Sally's are dropping. Those are the hands that I'm called to address. Sometimes they're mine that are drooping. I'm the tired one. Other times it's those around me. It's that idea that our pastor is bringing forth in this text. It's one of mutual edification. We have a responsibility. It's sort of like if you have a close-knit family. You care for those in your family. You watch out for them because they are your brothers and sisters. It's this very idea that the pastor is pushing. We've seen this all through the book of Hebrews. When you back up to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Take care, my brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitful of sin. You see the community nature? Chapter 10, verse 24 the pastor writes, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see that day drawing near. It's this whole idea that we are a community, a family. The church, Christ's body, is a family and we must care and encourage one another as we go through this journey. We must gospel one another every day. And so it's important. When you come to worship, this is not about you coming to worship. Sometimes it's about you just simply asking good questions of your brothers and sisters. How are you doing? Look on their face. Look on their body language. What's happening? Care for them. Seek ways that you can pray or and encourage them. And even, I know, pick up the phone and call them. Text them and say, hey, I saw you were down Sunday. How are you doing? It's our responsibility as a body to first examine ourselves and second, look around at our brothers and sisters and seek to encourage and care for them. How are they doing? Are you asking good questions? Are you looking to Jesus? Yeah, have you, you know God's working here. I know it's really painful. And no, I don't have it all together. But... We're reminding them of the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is what? It's what Jesus Christ did. He went to the cross. He was crucified, buried, and raised again for us. That's the power of the gospel. It's not how well I keep the law. That's not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is what Christ did. And what's the power of the gospel for? The purpose that we might help others walk for the glory of God. Because I'm redeemed, I now can do that. You see that relationship between the power and the purpose. 
Another truth that comes forth from this. Since God designs His children's trials for their good and their holiness, we as believers must focus on two godly goals. You see it there in verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so, first, we're commanded to pursue peace. And second, we are commanded to pursue holiness. So let's look at peace first. This is the gospel horizontally. The fact of what God has done through Jesus Christ is now applied horizontally, if you will, in our one-to-one relationships on this earth. Because the core element of the gospel, think about it. What do we know about how we have been reconciled with God? Well, here's the truth. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has peace with God. Do you live with that reality? I have peace with God. He's no longer mad at me. Because what? We know when Christ went to the cross, what did He do? He drank the cup of God's wrath for me and for each sinner that He redeemed completely. If you will, when He picks up the cup, there's none left. Because Jesus drank it all, right? There's nothing left. And so therefore, we have peace with God. Paul puts it this way, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What an amazing truth that I'm at peace with God. He's not mad at me. And so that false idea that so many of us are like, oh yeah, but I did this, and oh, God's got to be... No, if you are having faith in what Christ Jesus did, He is not mad at you. Because of the gospel and the peace it brings, we are now to do what? We are to bring that peace around to others around us. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Paul writes to believers in Romans 12, 18, If possible, is it possible in a messed up, stinky, fallen world? Nope, that's what he's saying. He says, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And so let's apply pursuing peace. Because here's the deal. God alone designs pain in your life and in my life that we might grow in holiness. We've established that truth. And so we should not see our struggles and hassles as ultimately coming from other people. I have a lot to learn in this area. Just ask my wife. Yes, those people who harass us, give us difficulties, they are the direct cause of our pain. You know, the jerk that just cut in front of you on the interstate or on the road. or Why did you do that? But did you realize that God is using that very event, that person, for your good and for your holiness? It's amazing how we are blaming other people. And here's the biggest question, and I don't like preaching at this because I've got to listen to this myself. Why should I get angry or strike back at a person who is merely being used by God for my holiness? Ouch, that hurts. You see, too often we wage personal war against those whose imperfections a sovereign God is using and designing to strengthen my character, to strengthen your character. 
He is seeking to do what? He is seeking to produce endurance and steadfast in your life. Remember James? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Paul writes, Romans 5.3, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, good, Paul. But then he goes on and he has to drive the nail home. Listen to what he says. Knowing that your suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So ask yourself, what is it in your life that causes you to not live at peace? I bet you can think of them. All these things. And most of the time it's usually, oh, this person or my spouse or my job or my lack of finances or my... Fill in your blank. (laughs) Is God in control? Is He sovereign? Yes. Is He working in your life? Yes. How many relationships have you blown up or destroyed because you've lost your cool? I'll use the Bob Newhart thing. Just stop it. (laughs) Look to God. Realize that that person who is annoying you or bothering you, that circumstance, is God sovereign? Yes, I don't want to admit it. Instead, remember God is allowing these opportunities and these people in your life to allow you to grow in grace. To allow you to be that sweet aroma of Christ to those who are trapped in this stinky, messed up, fallen world. And that is why our pastor says, strive for peace with everyone. This is not a passive command. That word strive, it's an aggressive, intense word there. He is is saying peace is a really big deal in your life. And how often do I forget that? And I'm instead attacking those or the situations or the circumstances. Well, if they didn't do that, I wouldn't. No, God is working that. And we are to be like a hunting hound running after its prey. I remember uh, we had an uh, English Springer Spaniel. And it was hilarious when you'd pull out the laser. And that dog would run on that laser like anything. That's the way we're to be. We are to pursue that. We are to pursue peace aggressively. And yes, that means sometimes swallowing our pride. That means sometimes going, Lord... I don't understand this, but you know what? I'm going to do what your word tells me and I'm going to leave the results to you. Because you bought me with your blood, so I will do that. And it's amazing what happens when we submit to that. There's a second thing that we're commanded to pursue. Notice also the verb there is strive for peace and strive for holiness is the implication. The strive is used in both of them. We are to strive or pursue holiness. And the word holiness here is, if you look at your New American standard, is sanctification. Strive for sanctification. The idea, it's the process by 
which we are freed from the power of sin, our old man, as we are transformed into godly men and women. Y'all remember Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. And I love this part. And we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto his righteousness. That's a a neat thing. We're being transformed from the old man to the new man to be like Jesus. And here's the deal. Sanctification is not an option for believers. If you confess Jesus Christ as Savior, sanctification is not a, oh, well, that's for the, the mature, the big ones. You know, those guys who really want to strive for it. No. All believers must be growing in sanctification. In fact, if you are not growing in sanctification or holiness, then you need to question whether you have true faith in Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Now, our Paul says, or, or our pastor says, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Some people stumble over that and they're like, oh, see, holiness is required for salvation. Got the cart before the horse there, guys. This does not mean that our salvation, seeing the Lord, is caused by us attaining a certain level of holiness. That's sort of a Roman type view. You know, if you do enough of these sacraments and you do these things, you might attain and then you got purgatory to get you over the final line. It's not a record keeping like that. If you have Jesus on your account, you're over the line, right? It's holiness. But what he's saying is, if we are believers, then sanctification and holiness will be happening in your life. Isn't that the reason the Holy God of Heaven saw fit to redeem you? Westminster Church Catechism. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God. And then the living out part? And enjoy Him forever. You see, He doesn't save you you and go live like the devil. He saves you that you might live like Him. Now, In this world, we're not going to do it perfectly, are we? Remember, Paul wrote to the Romans and he talked about, and we often talk about that thread of salvation. Romans 8.29, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so brothers and sisters, hear this truth. Growth in holiness Sanctification is not a necessary condition of God's acceptance of us. Why? Because we are justified by faith alone in what Christ has done. In other words, I'm accepted by His record, not mine. However, growth and holiness is a necessary consequence of our acceptance by God. If you've been accepted by God, you will be growing in holiness. Otherwise, you need to go back and see, am I resting in Christ and Christ alone? That's why 
James, Jesus' brother, he said in James 2.17, so also faith by itself, if you just say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and you're living like the devil, what's James say? He says, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. He's saying, if there's no growth, there's no sanctification, no holiness at all in the life, then there's probably no faith to begin with. Now does that cause you to despair? Don't. Look at the Gospel. We are saved, how? By what Christ has done on our behalf. And how do we get that? I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I know I'm a sinner and I could never meet God's standard, but Christ alone has done what is necessary. You see, if we believe in Christ's work, then we can be confident and encouraged that we now can strive for holiness. And you do have a responsibility to strive for holiness. You should strive for peace and you should strive for holiness, especially in times of trial and discipline. That's what our pastor is driving home here. But it's hard. Yes, it is hard. How do I get through it? Pray. Study God's Word. The harder things get around you, the more you should be in God's Word. Dig into the Psalms and read the Psalms. Cry out to God through the Psalms. Use His Word back to Him. David's got some really good Psalms for you. Last week we covered a whole series of those. You need to do whatever it takes to strive for holiness. Why? Our pastor is saying, so you can enjoy life in Christ. Do you find sometimes that you're just like tired, you're, you're worn out, and you feel like, I'm never going to do this? You're not thinking gospel. Rest in what Christ has done, and then enjoy life in Christ. And, and you know, you ever seen those graphs of the stock market? You know, they go up and down and up and down. But there's one cool thing you can find since, you know, the Great Depression. There's been a general upturn. You know, for investors, that relatively speaking, stocks go up and stocks go down, but there's been this overall growth in stocks. That's how our sanctification and holiness should look. You're going to go up and you're going to go down. You're going to have good weeks and you're going to have bad weeks. You know what I'm talking about, right? You come in and you're just like, oh, man, this week was just rough. I didn't do so well. Nope. Just run to Jesus harder. That's what he's saying. Strive for holiness. And, and we need to be like that stock market graph. We may have the ups and downs, but going, you know what? Holiness is growing in my life because I'm in God's Word. I'm studying God's Word. I'm memorizing God's Word. I'm meditating upon God's Word. Paul. Most of y'all don't have faith like Paul. Listen to what he said, Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Do you, feel, do you hear his humanness coming through? He's like, I don't know, man. It seems rough sometimes. The old Paul comes out. I'm adding a few extra words there. But that seems to be the gist of what he's saying. But what's Paul do? This is what you and I need to do. I press on to make it my own. Because... It's not me, and yes, I'm adding words here, but because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Who saved you? It wasn't that little 
time you came down and said the sinner's prayer or you sat and, you know, confessed. No, it was the God of the universe who redeemed you. And whatever event that was, you just simply recognized what he did. Verse 13, Paul writes, Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I am doing, forgetting what lies behind and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I can feel the humanness of Paul there. I can feel my humanness too often. And especially in trial and discipline. So what? What's the encouragement within this passage? There's great encouragement if we will see it. Earlier, in previous weeks, we saw that God disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness, 12.10. God's goal and His purpose and our difficulties and His discipline of us is that we might share in His holiness. And our responsibility, we are to strive for peace, we are to strive for holiness. And so let us be encouraged by this gospel truth. Jesus has done everything needed to accomplish our salvation. That's good. It's done. It's complete. We are now, because of what Christ has done, called to strive for holiness as we go through this sin-cursed world, as we go through God-ordained suffering. And we don't have to do that on our own. God is at work in us and around us. When we do suffer, we're going to We're going to have to endure. But what are we promised? 12.11 The peaceful fruit of righteousness. We can know. Yeah, God's working. I know it feels tough right now. But my God is working. And so what's my response to all that? I'm going to pursue peace. And I'm going to pursue holiness in the midst of all of this. And you'll be amazed what that does. And so... Yes, you're to be a theologian. And it's not difficult theology. Remember the gospel. That's all the pastor is calling us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing truth that you love us and you care for us. And Lord, you equip us and strengthen us to serve you. Help us to be faithful. Faithful children as we strive for peace and holiness that you might be glorified. We pray all these things in your Son's glorious and precious name. Amen.